Welcome to the Refresh and Restore Weekly Devotion, brought to you by JustKeithHarris.com. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you are refreshed and restored through our Bible study today. Welcome to this week's Refresh and Restore Bible Study. Today's passage is Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And this is what the word of the Lord says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Greetings, sojourners. My heart is heavy after the evil events that have taken place this past month uh, with the shootings in Uvalde, Texas, and in Buffalo, New York. I've tried to form words um, to write here or to to speak here, but but I failed. Plain and simple, there is evil in this fallen world, and we all feel helpless and small in its wake. But I find myself clinging more and more to Jesus's promise and John's response at the end of Revelation. Revelation twenty two twenty says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And John's response, Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Jesus is who we need. That cry uh, of come Lord Jesus is not escapism from the world. It's hoping in the fulfillment that Jesus has already promised. And as we look at at just the response in the week since Texas and, and nearly a month since New York, there can be seen a different sort of wickedness here in the United States there especially in probably the last decade there, there's been a lot of partisan finger pointing with both sides calling the other bad and all other manner of names but the particular weakness I'm thinking of is actually one of the few bipartisan efforts in the United States government today and that wickedness is opportunism and what I mean by that is finding an opportunity in tragedy to push your agenda. Lives were lost in these shootings. And one side says that this pain needs to be used to push through gun legislation. Senseless killing is seen as an opportunity to push policy. People made in the image of God were slaughtered, and the other side blames the first for the murderers to have the opportunity to kill in the first place. We need to repent of such things. And in times when the evil seems too much and the words just don't come, it's okay to be quiet. But when evil happens and you see the opportunity for advancement of yourself or your platform or your agenda, it's time to assess what's going on in your own heart. 
when hearts should be rent in sadness and hurting for others, especially hearts professing to, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to be comforting others as they've been comforted by God and by his spirit being inside of you, giving you that comfort. But they take time to talk policy first. The worldliness of our own hearts can be seen too. I remember back in February 2019 when the factory shooting in Aurora, Illinois happened. Similar opportunities arose, again, from from both sides of the aisle. News took the stories and ran with them, and it was the fault of gun legislation, or it was the fault of the lack thereof. There should have been this, there should have been that, and in the midst of it, there were reports of the plant manager texting his wife that he loved her as his last act before for dying. And people took that and ran with it too. That plant manager's name was Josh Pinkard, and he was my friend. He was my youth pastor while he was a student at Mississippi State. And to his wife, that text was more than a story. His children and his parents didn't see that as an opportunity to push legislation or to deny it. And as I was writing this in tears, were in my eyes, the opportunism stung, right? And I imagine it does for those affected in Buffalo and Uvalde as well. See, it stings for me because it reminds me of the original perpetrator of the evil here on earth, and that's Satan. It's his MO to steal and kill and destroy He lives for the opportunity to devour and destroy. He looks for weaknesses to exploit. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden as well. He saw an opportunity to tempt Eve, and as it says in Genesis 3-5, her husband who was there with her, to exploit their curiosity and pride and point them towards sin and the rest of us through the fall. Satan even tried to tempt Jesus himself when he was physically at his lowest and hungriest. You can see that in Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4. But Jesus did what our original ancestors didn't. He held fast to the word of God and resisted the devil. For the Colossian church, it was their lack of knowledge that gave opportunity for Satan and his false teachers. Remember, this wasn't a church started by Paul. The the churches he started were often accompanied by longer visits filled with teaching and discipleship. The church at Colossae was started by Epaphras, who was saved and brought the gospel back home with him. But now there were false teachers on all sides prying at the edges of what the Colossian church knew about the gospel and seeking to tear it to shreds with their false gospel. Looking at their struggle and reading how Paul sought to help them can help us today. You see, Satan is still on the prowl for such opportunities today. And so we get to look and see how the same message that Paul gave the Colossian church can help protect us and ours today. And it all starts with a command. See to it that no one takes you captive. (laughs) That command seems too simple when you read it for the first time. If, If it were only that easy, just don't get captured. We've already looked at how evil the world is today. Would that command alone be enough to protect people? Absolutely not. 
I can't imagine sending my daughter or son off with friends or on a church trip saying, hey, you know I love you, don't get kidnapped. That's a negative, Ghost Rider. My wife and I have talked and talked and taught and tried to train our children to watch out for things, to be wary. We've actually given them a list, and it's a very short list of people that they can trust at the exclusion of every other person on the planet. Paul does similarly with the Colossian church in today's passage. He does give them the command to guard themselves against capture, but in so doing, he lists specific dangers, specific captors, specific ideologies, thought processes, worldviews, false gospels that were prowling and wanting to abduct the church from the safety of the gospel of Jesus Christ and imprison them using a damning false gospel. Paul even gives them a list of people that they can absolutely trust not to lead them astray with the gospel. But Paul's list is even shorter than mine, and it only has one name, the name Jesus. It's important to understand this before diving into the various false gospels. It's not as important to understand all of the facets of each area of teaching. It's important to realize that as verse 8 says, they are not according to Christ. As we talked about in last week's study, it's extremely important to know what the Bible teaches, what the gospel proclaims in order to protect against the false teaching. And Paul's already gone to great lengths and through the Holy Spirit has, has given the Colossian church and us that beautiful Christological hymn in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. But now, again, through the Holy Spirit, he's going to help them and us see the danger that's already in their midst. The first area that they need to guard themselves from capture against is philosophy and empty deceit. The word philosophy is a compound word in the original language. Philo, which means love, and Sophia, which means wisdom. There have always been people who love wisdom, really people who love knowledge and facts and talking and debating the the knowledge and facts all all day long. The, The teachings of Plato and Aristotle had already been around for nearly 500 years at the time where Paul was writing to the Colossian church. And uh, their, their use of logic and discussions at that time in the ancient biblical world, those thoughts, those philosophies were either running parallel to or added to religion. And it was fairly widespread. There were people then, like today, who sought to supplement their religion with philosophy. And that sort of false teacher was trying to do the same thing with the gospel among the believers at Colossae. Think of opportunists who try to ask questions today that are more reminiscent of Satan's question in Genesis 3 than the the proclamation of the gospel. When Satan asked, did God actually say? You see, they allow logic and reasoning to allow them to take God's word and, and pick and choose what is correct, what is truth. 
what they end up with is very little Bible and mostly what appeases their own intellects and desires. The false teachers wanted to appeal to human logic to do, as Paul wrote in earlier in chapter 2, verse 4, to delude with plausible arguments. You see, we've got to test teachers to see whether what they proclaim is Christ or if they're actually arguing against his word. 1 John 4, 1 through 6 is a good uh, guide for this. You see, if you're not in the word, though, you're in danger. And so this is part of, of that command to see to it that you're not captured by philosophy. Then there were those who Paul refers to simply as empty deceit, basically empty promises. This could be from a false god or simply promises that take advantage of the church's lack of biblical knowledge to lead them astray. There are many forms of this today that picture how easy it would have been for the Colossian church, especially since they didn't have the Bible like we do today and their lack of discipleship. Think of how many people are hoodwinked by faith healers and prosperity gospel preachers, wicked men and women who stage miracles and perform sleight-of-hand trickery to get rich at the expense of the unhealed and the poor. Think of the people who write books promising hope and health and prosperity under the guise of Christianity or being a preacher who produces disciples whom Hank Williams described in his song, Dust on the Bible, that there's not one word of Bible verse and not a scripture do they know. God's word is full of promises he has made, not empty, but full. The Colossian church struggled to tell the difference between the false and the empty with the genuine promises of God because they lacked a teacher and the word. We have access to both today, so see to it that you are not captured by empty promises. The next issue there, next worldview, is human tradition. You know, it's said that the seven words that can kill an organization are, we've never done it like that before. But in the case of the Colossian church, there was a deadlier phrase. We've always done it this way. You know, human tradition is powerful, but more powerful than tradition is ignorance. How many of our traditions, and by this I mean church traditions or things that you would consider traditional beliefs, don't go back as far into church history as you think? For example, there is a popular end times theory um, that describes God rapturing his church before a time of tribulation. This was made largely popular by the Left Behind series. And I've heard several people within the last two weeks specifically reference this as what the church has always believed for the last 2,000 years. But they don't realize that the earliest known teaching of this was by a man named John Nelson Darby in the 1830s. So this is going to sound like something that an English teacher would say. And, and since I am an English teacher, I'm not going to argue against that fact. But, but it doesn't change the reality. You've got 
to check your sources. Where are you getting your information? I'm not talking about Facebook fact-checking here. I'm not talking about your beliefs of media bias. What I'm talking about here are the basis of what you, where you get what you believe about Jesus, what you believe from the Bible. Do your, is your source the Bible or is it somebody telling you what it says? And when I say the Bible, I mean all of it and not just a few proof text verses. Where do they get their, where do the people who you allow to speak into your life, where do they get their biblical information? Are they merely presenting you with opinions? We need to be like the Bereans in Acts 17. They were eager to receive the gospel that Paul preached, but not so eager as to take it immediately. Acts 17.11 says they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Again, the Colossian church had limited means to check the sources of the false teachers, but there are so many ways to spend time in God's word for us today that we're without excuse. Often, we're led astray because we want to hear what the false gospel, what the false teachers are preaching. We would rather believe that God's going to, going back to the John Nelson Darby example, we would rather believe that God's going to snatch his church up and keep his bride from ever having any trouble because that seems nice rather than recognizing that Jesus promised the church that she would have tribulation in John 16, 33, and that the Bible teaches. Peter, when he's writing 1 Peter, um, talks about how the church has, at that time, already experienced tribulation at the hands of Satan since it had begun. So when it comes to human tradition, see to it that you are not captured. Then finally, we get to the elemental spirits of the world. That phrase translated elemental spirits is actually a word in the original language that they would use to talk about the alphabet or basic elemental elementary principles. And I think uh, John MacArthur gives a good illustration for this when he says, for us to abandon biblical truth for empty philosophy is like returning to kindergarten after earning a doctorate. Basically, Paul here is describing trading the gospel of Jesus Christ for childish beliefs or beliefs that a childlike mind could make up. Paul asks a question regarding these elemental spirits later on in uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, that can help us see this issue here. Paul asks, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Basically, why trade Christ, who has brought you from spiritual death to eternal life? Why would you trade him for lesser things? And of course, the difficulty here is that the things of Christ are have to be taken on faith. We've been talking about this over the last several weeks of Bible study, that all of this boils down to believing what the Bible says and taking the Jesus whom we see in the Bible on faith. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
while the el- elemental spirits can be observed and seen. It's definitely easier to walk outside and feel the warmth of the sun than to understand that Jesus, the Son of God, upholds all things by the word of his power, that while creation reveals the creator, one is seen and the other requires faith to see his handiwork. But once you've seen his fingerprints in creation, how can you go back? How can you trade the God who is light himself to worship the sun that wouldn't exist without him? Yet Satan exploits that opportunity, the desire to see and the difficulty of faith to make fools out of men who think they're wise when they, as it says in Romans 1, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Sojourner, when it comes to the elementary principles, see to it that you are not captured. As we wrap up today, we want to continue looking at the way that Paul talks about these false teachings and let you know this is what the next few passages will be covering over the next few weeks. And I hope that they help you in your walk with Christ. And and I know it's scary to think that there's evil in the world. It's scarier to me, though, to see how we or how the church responds to the evil. My pastor reminded us last Thursday night that evil doesn't win and he shared a verse with us uh, Romans 12:21 Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And this is an important reminder and one that reflects Paul's writings here in Colossians. He he, he doesn't give more focus to the dangers than he does to Jesus. Again, he sandwiches the, the, the discussion of the, the dangers and what can capture us in between exalting Christ. And so when we look at this passage today, if you are in Christ, it serves you well to remember that Jesus is God. And in him, in the person of Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And if you're in Christ, you've been filled in him. That means that his spirit is inside of you. Jesus is the head of all rule and authority and is greater than him who is in the world. You know, we looked at the beginning of today's Bible study that there are those who would exploit evil situations to to find opportunity for their own agendas But I want you to see there's opportunity for hope, even in the midst of great evil and struggle and tribulation. There's opportunity for hope in Jesus Christ. There are two passages of Scripture that we referenced early on in the Bible study today that highlight the evil attacks of Satan and the difficulties and trouble that we're going to have and do have in this world. I want to close today by looking at these two passages and seeing that they're not just proclamations of evil and danger and trouble, but they hold full promises from Jesus himself about how he's taking care of everything. First is John 10, 10 and 11. 
begins with the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Listen to what Jesus says next. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Second passage, John 16, 33, starts with what seems, it kind of goes good news, bad news, good news. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Do you see why the context of the word is so important? We're not left with death and tribulation because life is offered. Hope is offered by him who has already overcome the world. He doesn't offer peace by way of legislation or empty promises as the world does. He's done it as he says in Colossians 1.20. He's made peace by the blood of his cross. And he offers that peace to all who would have faith in him. I'm praying for you, dear sojourner, that you can find the only peace in the tribulation of this world, Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you that you're in God's word and spending time with him in prayer. And I pray that you test the spirits to see what is of God and what is not. Pray that you do this so that you are not taken captive. I'm thankful for Jesus and again echo the cry of John in Revelation 22:20 20. Come Lord Jesus We thank you again for listening. You can find the written copy of this devotion, complete with links to the scripture passages that were cited throughout, on our website, JustKeithHarris.com, as well as other writings, projects, and Bible studies. Refresh and Restore is based out of Peter and John's sermon in Acts 3 and 4, specifically Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, where Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture passages are cited from the English Standard Version. JustKeithHarris.com is affiliated with Christ Community Church in Grenada, Mississippi. If you would like to contact us, you may do so through our website.